All right, let's turn our Bibles, if you're not there already, to John chapter 2. And by the way, the ladies are going to have a, there's a giveaway, all kinds of CDs and books at the women's table. Please, I don't want to take them home anymore, so just go get them. So water to wine, the best is yet to come. We're just going to start with two verses. I'm reading from the New King James Bible. On the third day, did you ever see that? Did you ever see on the third day? Why, what, what's on the third day? On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. So the Sea of Galilee is up in northern Israel. And the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples, that's another 13 men, they, they were invited to the, to the wedding. <laughs> you know, when you're planning a wedding and there's a budget and there's food and stuff, 13 men is going to increase the budget. So these guys all show up at, at the uh, wedding. So as he's invited, we remember now that John's gospel is unique compared to the other three gospels. You know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all the synoptic, they're pretty much seen in a similar way, but John is different. John includes this. Nobody else has it. I think it's so great that he included the story of uh, turning water into wine. So on the third day, that's Tuesday, right? Anybody want to gander? What, what's the big deal about Tuesday? Getting married on Tuesday? In Israel, they get married on Tuesdays because in Genesis chapter 1, Tuesday, the third day, was blessed twice. The other days there was, you know, sunrise, sunset, but this day was blessed twice. We were there uh, doing one of our tours over there years ago, and it was on Tuesday, we're just walking around, and our tour guide said, oh, they're having a wedding, let's go. And he goes up to the people getting married. Now, this is weird. And he goes, hey, you want to get blessed? We got people from Hawaii. Include them in your wedding. And so they come up to, okay, we want you to hold this tapestry. They have a four-corner tapestry. And I go, I don't even have a yarmulke. I don't, I'm not dressed for, you're perfect. And so I had literally my redskin football hat, which back then you could say those words. But uh, so I'm there standing in the corner uh, uh, holding up this tapestry and this these people are getting married because on Tuesday, on the third day, there's a double blessing pronounced on that day. So people go, well, where's Joseph? By this point, uh, Joseph is not mentioned anymore. Actually, the last mention we have of Joseph is after Jesus was 12 years old. Remember, they left him at the temple by mistake. I thought you had him. I thought you had him. And after that, we think he was probably older than Mary. And tradition says he was dead by this time. So as he's invited... You got to think this through. You got the Savior of the world, kind of a busy guy. And the Savior of the world, does he have time to break from his schedule and go to a high school graduation or to go to a, a wedding, to go to a, any, any party? And go, yeah, yeah, well, would you invite him to your wedding? Do you, or, or would you have him, if he shows up, would you go, why did you have to come? This literally happened to me as senior pastor. I like traveling, uh, visiting different Bible studies in this church. And so I went to one uh, unannounced. I just, I like the fellowship. I like to see what's going on. And the worship leader strums his guitar to start the, the study. And he looked at me and goes, why did you have to come? 
And I said, well, bless you too. You know, so good to be here. You know, like what, am I the killjoy that ruins everything? You're just nervous, what? But would you say that to Jesus? Why did you have to come? You know, I was sharing once, uh, year, years ago I was working on surfboards and I was really working on my boss on surfboards. He had just recently gone through a, a devastating divorce and I'm just trying to share with him about what Jesus does in marriages and weddings. And, and he said this, we never invited Jesus into our relationship. You know, what is your picture, Jesus? Because he's going to a wedding today. He's going to have this fun time. And, and he's bringing his boys with him. And, and he just went, what's your picture of Jesus? Oh, we were going to have a good time, but now Jesus had to show. So I guess we get on our knees and just pray all day. Or, or is it like, wait, I think he's a lot of fun. Do you ever think of in John chapter 15, Jesus is on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of Agony, to pray and to be betrayed, to be given up by Judas Iscariot. And as he's going there, if it were you, what would you be saying? What would you be talking about to your boys? Jesus starts talking about joy. If it was me, and I'm on my way to be betrayed and to die for these betrayers and losers, I'd be bombed. I'd be pointing the fingers at people. He's talking about joy. He says, you know what? My joy can be in you and your joy can be full. None of them go, no thanks. <laughs> I've seen your joy. I'm not interested. It was the opposite. They're going, wait, I can have that kind of joy? Are you serious? Yeah, Peter talks about it. It's this joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's this Joy, you really can't put it into words, what Jesus Christ can do in your life. It's, a, it's full of glory. It's not full of darkness, not full of, you know, dirty jokes or, or anything. It's just full of beautiful things, holy things. It's the joy of the Lord. So here's Jesus on his way to be betrayed. And he goes, hey, by the way, you can have my joy. What? Wouldn't you want him at your party? You know, I've been taking a little survey of different members in the church this week. Do you think Jesus danced at the wedding? How many say yeah? How many say yeah? How many say no way, Jose? Um, you either do one or the other. <laughs> A lot of you didn't raise your hand at all. But the thing is, guys, he's in Jerusalem. He, or I'm sorry, he's in Canaan, but he's in Israel. Everybody dances in Israel. I dance in Israel. My what? You should have seen us. So if you're going to Israel, you have to go to the Wailing Wall on a Friday night. Shabbat Shalom. So the, when the Sabbath starts, you know, Sabbath is from sunset Friday night to sunset Saturday night. So if you're at the Wailing Wall, and there's this huge area in front of the Wailing Wall. And it's crowded, everybody shows up. And then you got the Shivas, the, the Jewish schools coming in. And they're all singing Jewish songs and dancing. And I mean, it is, what? Is this, this, we're in Israel. This is happening. And so we're this last trip we went. We, we get there and we, hey, teach us to dance. They go, come on. And they had a bunch of us going in this circle, another going like this. We had a blast. 
It was everyone in Israel dances. But you know what is different? It's not a mosh pit. You're not crowd surfing. In the Old Testament, they were instructed, when you have a party, you have it in my presence. Because God wants you to know joy unspeakable and full of glory. And so the entire family would be involved. The entire family would go. We've had these before. I brought this up to our worship team this morning. We used to have hoedowns. Who was here for the hoedowns? Has it been that long? I mean, come on. We've had hoedowns in this gym where, oh my goodness, some of you guys really don't know how to dance. But some are really good, the line dancers. It was the family party. What we had was a guy who could call out, you know, do-si-do, all that stuff, and he left the island. And there's nobody that could compare with him. Now, if you have somebody who knows how to do that and knows how to keep it clean, we want to do it again. Because it's this celebration where little kids go, look at mom and dad, they're rocking, man. And then mom and dad go, I'm telling you, the kids were into it the most. So here's Jesus at this place, he's a fullness of joy, joy unspeakable, full of glory. Didn't, didn't invite Jesus for this, my, my old boss. So then he was implored to help. He went from being invited to being implored to help. So again, I'm picking it up in chapter 2 of John. When they ran out of wine, how, oops, how long did a wedding last, do you know, in a Jewish culture? Sometimes a week long. To run out of wine, <laughs> not advisable. People get cranky. When they ran out of wine, the mother, Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And he said, well, <laughs> now that's not a derogatory term. It's not like you are so annoying. He's not doing that. He's addressing her out of respect to her. Woman, what's your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now. What's interesting about this, they ran out of wine, and again, if, if this lasts for a week, and you ran out on day one or day two, it's extremely bad planning, you would hear about this for the rest of your life. You would hear, you know, no wonder I have a bad marriage, they had a bad wedding, ran out of wine. So you'd hear about this the rest of their life, and so here Jesus, or Mary, goes up to Jesus, and tells them about somebody else's problem. It's interesting, the Catholics have this doctrine of Mariology, the doctrine of Mary, where you're supposed to go to her, to pray to her, and she'll go to Jesus. No, that uh, Jesus very clearly said, when you pray, you pray to the Father in the name of Jesus the Son, and that's why we end our prayers in Jesus' name, Amen. That's how we're told to do it. So she goes and says, hey, this guy's, uh, they've run out of wine. And he goes, well, what, what's that to me? Now, here's a lot of people that, well, don't bother Jesus with such details. Don't bother Jesus with your wedding plans. Are you kidding? Have you ever planned for a wedding? It gets involved. Well, so I love the fact that what Mary did was connect Jesus with the greatest need in the room. You'll see this again and again in the scriptures. The guy, they go to the temple, one guy's got a withered hand. 
And right away they go, I bet Jesus is going to do something about the guy with the withered hand. And so here they ran out of wine. I bet Jesus can do something about that. So he said, my hour's not yet come. When you think about it, we know he's 30 years old. And so for 30 years, he has stayed in a, quote, dry church or synagogue, just waiting for his time. 30 years of listening to them, reading from the law, and missing the significance, not seeing that this God of love is sending a redeemer. So now we're going to finish up this portion with uh, beginning of verse 5. Now, the mother said, whatever he says to you, do it. Guys, if you hear anything today, that's it. I'm not suggesting you fall asleep for the rest of the sermon, but whatever he says to you, do it. Now, there were uh, six water pots of stone. I think that would be pretty heavy according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. That's a lot. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. So there's no room for anything else. No food coloring, no concentrated wine or nothing. Just to the brim. And, uh, and he said to them, draw out some and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it, and when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, he didn't know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn out the water, they knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, every man at the beginning brings out the good wine. And then when the guests have drunk well, uh, then they bring out the inferior. But you've kept the good stuff till now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And after he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Okay, so I love what's going on here. They're instructed. It says, whatever he says to you do. Guys, again, if there's anything you receive today, that's it. Uh, I'm assuming he's going to speak to this week. It might not be turning water into wine. He might tell you, why don't you initiate reconciliation with that person? Whatever he says to you, do it. He might say to you, why don't you uh, make a meal for that person in need? Uh, why don't you give in this area over here? And whatever he says to you, do it. That's what Marion, that's her advice. Now, she didn't say... Whatever he says, well, why don't you just pray about it? Why don't you talk to your friends about it? Why don't you consider it? Or especially if it makes sense, then do it. No, no, it's whatever he says. Very simple instructions, but it took faith. So here's what happened. The very first step one, fill the water pots to the brim. Is that clear? Now, don't you think if you were a servant, you'd go, then what? I want to know your next five steps before I take the first. And Jesus goes, no, just take the first step. That's it. So for you right now, this morning, you might be here trying to confirm something that you think is from the Lord, and you're wanting three or four more steps before you make your decision. 
But he might only be giving you that first step. Fill it to the brim. Then what? Well, then we'll talk about it. But until you do the first step, you'll never know what's next. So they do it. Probably 120 to 180 gallons of water in these stone pots. So huge things. Heavy. Then the second step. Well, now take some of it to the master of the, of the feast. Do you think the servants are going, if I knew you were going to do that, I wouldn't have done the first step. Yeah, I just, I knew you were going to go somewhere crazy with this. No, that takes more faith. To, to fill it to the brim doesn't take much faith. To scoop some out, knowing it's purification water, that sounds gross. And to take it to a guy to test, I don't know. But maybe the other guy goes, hey, listen, we've done this far. Let's just follow through. What can it hurt? You don't have to drink it. <laughs> the other guy. Now, the symbolism of the purification water is amazing because this was there to symbolically cleanse the sinner approaching God, to symbolically say, all right, now I've submitted to your washing and cleanse. But the truth is it had no power. You're just the same condition. Maybe your hands were wet, but it just it symbolically did something but lacked the power to actually do it. And so then he goes, well, take some. So here these guys have these mind games. I mean, I would. I'd be carrying this stuff. I'm not telling them where I got this. Don't you tell me. They'll never drink it. You know, as you're going there, this is stupid. I'd be looking at it. It's still clear. It's not red. It doesn't even look like grape juice. What are we doing? And you're getting closer and closer, and it just seems the same. And in your mind, you're going, I, I don't know if I can follow through on this. I'm amazed at their faith. I'm amazed at this. Let's just do it. Here, try to some. And of course, the guy goes, wow, this is even better than the beginning stuff. How did you do that? Nobody does what you just did. Usually the good stuff is where you start. Now people are kind of getting a little juiced. Then you give them some more inferior stuff. Oh, no. The bottom line, the new wine was better than the old wine. See, the best is yet to come. For so many people with their walk with Jesus Christ, they think they did something along the road. They messed up. Join the club. But they, 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 no, I think I messed up to the point where I purposely disconnected myself. I purposely removed myself from fellowship. I purposely dove into that sin. I think I ruined it. And for, for you, this one to hear, the best is yet to come, you might scoff at such a promise. You might, I'm sure. I have personally ruined this. I have personally hardened my heart. I've personally made it worse. But what if the Holy Spirit were to whisper to you, the best is yet to come? I mean, there's one thing for heaven, but how about abundant life on earth where this abundance of love, joy, and peace, the best is yet to come. We have to just, whatever he says, to, to do it. See, the truth is, if they had never run dry, they would have never tried for the new stuff. 
And there are times when God is causing an old thing in my life or in your life to dry up, and it's time to let it go. Say, you know what? It's time to let that thing go and experience the new stuff. So I'm thinking, if I'm the apostle, I don't know if you've ever think, maybe you think this way too. Someone must have thought, Lord, let's start selling this wine. We will make a killing. This is, this is, I just had a vision. Trust me, I'm your new manager. You know, we'll call it miracle in a mug. You know, we'll call it grapes of blessings or Messiah's magic or something like, all right, we'll give God 10%, okay? But we will literally make a killing. We can even have a demonstration. Watch him do it right now. Just, I mean, just like somebody's got to be racing with that. Man, I will never work again. I'm just going to sell some vino. So there's po five possible solutions or uh, responses to what's going on. Right now, you need to picture yourself at this wedding. And you're watching, okay? And you're going, wow, that guy just verified this is bona fide good stuff. And it came from purification water. So you have five responses. Number one, you could ignore the miracle. You hear a bunch of noise. Now I'm just still on the dance floor. I don't care. You just ignore it. It's not a wise decision. Second is deny them. That didn't happen. It's smoke and mirrors. It's just a joke. They, no, that didn't happen. He just wants to look like a big shot. Or you rationalize the miracle away. There are, there are commentaries about the miracles in the Bible. One guy says, you know, when Jesus fed the 5,000, he said, well, yeah, some little kids started it, right? Presented his couple of loaves and fish. And he said, well, they had the big sleeves in their arms back then. And he had his lunch up the sleeve. And this little kid says, here, here's my lunch. And it inspired everybody that they, well, I got lunch too. And all of a sudden they all break out their fish and loaves. That is not how it happened. That's trying to rationalize it away like it's not that significant. The fourth response is to admit it. Oh yeah, it's a miracle. But you'd miss the significance. So when Jesus was doing messianic miracles, the, people were, the blind were seeing, people were raised from the dead, the Jews sent a, a delegation to check it out, verify the miracles. Is it legit? Is, uh, are they messianic miracles? Do we need to surrender to this guy, Jesus? Now, the idea is you cannot afford to be wrong. Because if you're wrong and we say, well, we don't have to bow to him, we could end up going to hell. You want to be right. You want to be certain about this decision. You know the story. They go to him in Matthew 12. They go, okay, yes, he did the miracles. They admit it. But... They've missed his significance. He does them according to the power of Beelzebub, one of the ruler of demons. So they dismissed it all saying, yes, they're miracles, but they're demonically influenced. And it was at that point Jesus said, watch out. Every sin you commit will be forgiven except blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which in that case was seeing proof that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Messiah, and then blaming it on the devil instead, giving the devil credit 
that one's not forgivable. Well, the fifth one is to admit them and to discern their significance. To, to be saying, okay, again, you're there at the wedding. Your buddy's getting married. You know the parents really well. And, and you're hurting for them. Oh, they're in this horrible situation. What's going to happen? And then to see, what? <laughs> All of a sudden, we have 180 gallons more wine. What? And it's the best stuff going. And to go, I see the significance. Jesus Christ is a way maker. Jesus Christ just did a miracle, and I need to submit, I need to surrender to him. See, at that wedding, out of the four or out of the five possibilities, only four and five were, were allowable because guarantee a miracle happened. Either you find a significance and surrender to Jesus Christ, or you dismiss it like it's no big deal. Now, What's the significance of this miracle? Well, it was on the third day. We already said, yeah, weddings take place on Tuesday because it was the twice-blessed day in Genesis chapter 1. But also, Jesus was raised on the third day. It was a time of new beginnings. It's interesting that Moses took water and turned it into blood, right? Went with one of the ten plagues, I'm going to take the, the Nile River and turn it into blood, and all the fish are going to die and stuff. So that was symbolic of the Old Testament. The law, it's, it brings forth death. It brings forth blood. But Jesus turned water into wine. A whole difference. So where the Old Testament brought forth death, the New Testament brings forth life and fruitfulness. So what else? What about the, what other significance? The old had run out. Let it die. Let it die. And I'm cautious on this one because I don't want to suggest you're supposed to let something die that you're supposed to be fervent about keeping alive. But I look back on our cassette tape ministry. Some of you have no clue what a cassette tape is or was. But they were greatly used in worldwide revival. Huge. We, we had a, a bookstore. Our last one was right across the street, right next to uh, Beatbox. We had thousands, thousands of cassette tapes. And they were, we had a library where you could rent them out or, or just loan them out. And so I, when I was working on surfboards, I had this thing where I hooked up a wire that went from one wall to the next, and then I looped it, and I had headphones that could travel as I'm working on surfboards like this, and it would go to my cassette tape player, which is probably worth a zillion dollars right now, and I would listen to 10 teaching tapes a day. So the surfboards were paying me to go through seminary, if you will. And I went through 10 Chuck Smith uh, teachings a, a day. It was a huge thing, cassette tapes. But then uh, one day it was reported to us, you know, people aren't listening to cassettes anymore. And I thought, these people are of the devil. Don't they know? I didn't say that. but Don't they know the, 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 the role that cassettes tapes have played in this church? Don't they know worldwide revival? Don't they? Uh, hey, Mike, don't you know? They don't even have a cassette player anymore. They want CDs. 
what? Now, some of you don't even know what a CD is. Just, uh, but so one day, Pastor Al was on staff. He just said, enough. He went out and bought everything we needed to duplicate CDs. And the, uh, away was the, the cassette. But the thing is, it was dead. Let it die. And, and uh, sometimes when you do that, something dies in you too. But it's dead, let it die. Don't, don't waste so much time trying to revive, revive something that's dead. Let it die. I love, again, this saying that, that here's the significance. There's a need in this. Now, you'd think at a wedding there wouldn't be any needs. There'd just be a lot of happiness and good times and dancing. And yet there's a huge need at this wedding. And Mary was wise to link the greatest need in the room with Jesus Christ. This morning, you might be the one with the greatest need. It's probably true if you think, yeah, but it'll never happen. It'll never get fulfilled. It'll never get, uh, have a good resolve or a result. And that, wait, you might be the one with the greatest need. And right now the Holy Spirit is linking you up with Jesus Christ the one who can solve that need. Then it takes, did you know this? It takes five to 21 days for wine to ferment or the sugar in the wine. Really good wine? Any, any guess how long it takes? Did you say two years? Pretty good guess. Four to five years for the good stuff. Jesus did it in a few steps instantly. Now, in the Old Testament, we have, uh, I think this is number 17, where Aaron was the high priest. That's the older brother of Moses. And people are going, oh, we don't like this despotism. You know, you're keeping it all in the family, all the, the leadership. Uh, we think we're all holy. We're all leaders, you know, that kind of thing. And God said, look, Take an almond rod, cut it off the tree. Well, that means it's impossible to grow almonds because it's been removed from the source. Like Jesus said, abide in me, you'll have fruit. Cut it off, there's no fruit. And so he says, okay, these, all these leaders, each one has an almond rod. You place it before the Lord overnight in the tabernacle. The next morning, now almonds take seven years to grow to produce leaves and fruit, full-blooded full or full-grown almonds. God did it overnight. He said, just leave the almond branches before the Lord, and He'll do something miraculous. He'll produce fruit overnight, only in Aaron's rod, which said, He's my choice, not the other ones. So here, in a similar miracle, which normally something would normally take weeks, now, it just took a few steps, and Jesus turned water into wine. Now, here's the, here's the significance. In Ephesians 3.20, and uh, yeah, if you don't know how to pray for me or pray for people, pray Ephesians 3.20. That may God do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all you can ask or think through the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I like that prayer. I love that prayer. I, I think, hey, Friday, if we break up into small groups, 
Sometimes we'll do that. Just pray for one. Pray Ephesians 3.20 over someone. May God do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all you can ask for. You can't even picture, you can't even imagine. May God do that. Now, I love this story about Arnold Palmer's golf club. It's, I don't believe it's true. I don't believe a word of it's true. But it's a great story. So the story is that Arnold was, uh, he was a famous golfer. He was in the golf, co um, so he was, say Saudi Arabia. And he's doing some favors for the king of Saudi Arabia. You know, and the golf courses and blah, blah, blah. And, and so they, the, the king's servants come to him the night before he leaves. He goes, hey, the king wants to really bless you. Uh, what can he do for you? Arnold goes, I don't know. Uh, give me a golf club. <laughs> Just, you know, and he's thinking, ah, I bet it'll be gold-plated, maybe solid gold. So, oh, golf club, okay. So the next day, Arnold's ready to fly away, and they gave him a certificate of a golf club, 18 holes, country club, rooms, everything, the food. He goes, wait, 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 wait. I was thinking of, yeah, well, well the king's thinking big. So didn't happen. But that's what happens in prayer. We can be praying bare minimum. We can be, oh, I just need this. And God says, can I step in here? Can I do something? Just to, I mean, you just sang about how God loves you and he's the way maker and all. What if he wants to do that today? What if he wants to just blow your mind? And your mind is getting in the way. It's going, I don't never happen. I've messed up too much. He knows what I did. He knows what I think. He knows how I got the stinking thinking. And God wants to say, watch me. Above and beyond all you could ask or think. It says this was the beginning of signs. Manifested his glory. Disciples believed. Remember the gospel of John is written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So this is what happens. They're now growing in faith. Here's the 12 boys, right? Jesus shows up with his 12 apostles. Well, his free lunch around here. They'd already left their jobs. Levi, tax collector, rich dude, walks away. Other guys, John, in a fishing business with his dad. They had servants probably doing pretty good. They'd already walked. They already knew that Jesus was the answer. But now they're growing in faith. They're growing in grace and knowledge. The last thing Peter the Apostle writes in 2 Peter 3, 18. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, to whom, to whom be the glory both now and forever. Amen. And it's always grace is first. He doesn't say grow in knowledge and then grace. No, no, no. Grow in grace. Learn how to deal with each other in grace. And then... It, Stack onto that knowledge. So here they're going. They're already leaving their jobs. They're already following Christ, but they're still growing. So they're going, he did what? He, he turned water into water? I've never seen him do that before. And so they, they're more convinced. And, and then that with Lazarus. Lazarus in, in John chapter 9, he raises Lazarus from the dead. They're going, dude, I never saw him do that. Did you see him do that before? Then they're crossing the, the Sea of Galilee, and this crazy storm comes up. 
And he just says, be still. Double miracle. The wind stopped, but it's all, all of a sudden it's lake. Lake of water instead of rough water. And each time they're going, I never saw Jesus do that. When's the last time you had that? When's the last time you go, wow. He answered that prayer for money. He answered that prayer for reconciliation. He, he answered that prayer for this crazy situation. I never saw him do that before. That's how you grow in grace and knowledge. And so here are the apostles going, wow. Is there anything this guy cannot do? So how embarrassing. For these people, they ran out of wine. Embarrassing. So what is it that you're running out of today? that if it was on this PowerPoint, it'd be pretty embarrassing. Do you know for some people it's joy? You know when Jesus said, hey, you can have my joy and your joy will be full, and they're going, what, we can have that? Nobody goes, no thanks. Can you do that? Can you go, hey, you become a Christian, you can have joy like me. Do they go, no thanks. You're big as sourpuss. You know the old saying, baptized in lemon juice? And it's embarrassing. Our joy, we don't try to manufacture it, but let's not hide it either. Our joy, our peace, our love should be like the greatest plus for Christianity, the greatest advertisement. For some people, they are so sour. I want to tell them, please don't tell anyone you're a Christian. It's bad publicity. You're as unjoyful as I can imagine. You're just one complaint after another. Just stop. And it's embarrassing. When you read Psalm 1611, in your presence is fullness of joy. (laughs) And Peter, joy unspeakable. I can't put it into words. Why are you so happy? I don't know. Full of glory. For some, it's no joy. And I get it. Maybe you're going through just junkest situation known to mankind, but for some, there's no victory. Ah, you used to have victory. Sounds like a fairy tale now. Well, once upon a time, once upon a time I had victory here. Once upon a time, there's no temptation here. Once upon a I'll tell you something. I've known victory. I have known defeat. I choose victory. It's a lot more fun. It's a lot more fun. But if that's been a long time, it's embarrassing. How about this? How about running out of excuses? Wouldn't that be great? Where it's no longer, yeah, but, you know, my uncle or, hey, how about just before God? How about time? That's terrifying when you think about it. Time. In Colossians chapter 4, towards the end of the chapter, Paul goes, hey, talk to this one guy in the church. 
tell him to fulfill his ministry, kind of like before he runs out of time. There's a, a saying, before you die, you want to finish your list. I'm not talking about climbing some mountain. Or, I'm talking about God-given tasks, ministries, services. You want to finish that list. I'm thinking there are some in this room who know it's time to reconcile with someone. You're running out of time. It might be where the damage is just so great, it's over. For others, it's time to reach out to that neighbor. And you might be running out of time. Neighbors move, or you move. You can fill in the blank. I'm not making a prediction. Okay, you've got three days. No. But there should be a sense of urgency. I want to fulfill God's calling on my life. No more excuses. I don't want to run out of time. So it's time to invite Jesus in. Instead of, I don't know if we want him at our party. Are you kidding? He's going to save the party. He's going to make it happen. You implore him to bless your relationships. You will be instructed to obey. Very simple commands, very clear commands, but you're going to take faith.